Hi, everybody. A couple weeks ago, we started a series on the prophets. And in the Old Testament, God calls prophets to warn the people they need to turn from what they're doing. It's the prophet's job to paint a future that's going to happen if they don't turn back to God. Now, generally, it's not a done deal. Um, you know, outside of Amos, we looked at last week, Amos paints a really bleak picture. Uh, God's done with second chances. God has given them chance after chance after chance after chance. And Amos says, you guys have been forgiven so many times, it's just over. It's too late. The leaders have become so corrupt. They pulled the rest of the nation down to such a degree they've lost perspective. Their ethics are completely broken. They don't even know they're right from their wrong. There's not much hope in Amos. There's a little sliver, but Amos's message is really hardcore. The other prophets have more hope. Uh, you know, they, they give a warning of what's going to happen if the people don't turn back to God. Now, for some, like Jeremiah that we're going to look at today, things are going to get much worse before they get better, but there's hope. But they always push turn back to God. Stop what you're doing. Make a turn. That's really what repent means. It's the Hebrew verse shuv, and it just means to turn. You, you, you turn from where you're going, reorient your life back to God. That's the purpose of a prophet. That is their call. They are to tell people to return back to God. And, you know, that's not a fun job. People don't want to hear they're wrong. They don't want to hear that they have to change. You know, I sure don't. And I don't know many people that do. But that's the prophet's job. Prophets, they were all very different. I mean, ages were different. Their backgrounds were different. Their education was different. Their socioeconomic class was different. I mean, they're all over the map. But something they all had in common was an experience with God. They had this experience that was so dramatic. Their call to turn people back to God superseded anything and everything else. Every prophet had an encounter with God. Debar Yahweh in Hebrew. It's usually translated as the word of the Lord came to the prophet. And, and we talked about this quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. In Hebrew, it means Elijah experienced the things of the Lord. It means Jeremiah saw how God sees things. And he saw how different that was from the way that things are, the way people are behaving. The prophet stood alone with, with a foot in both realities. He, he saw how God wants the people to behave and how they're acting. And his job was to get people to behave like God wanted them to behave passage we just heard a couple minutes ago. It's an example of what that could mean for a prophet in the trenches. God called the prophet Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to him. He experienced the things of the Lord, and he saw how the people were falling, how they were failing, and Jeremiah speaks out. Verse 8 through 11 tells us 
how the people responded when he spoke out. As soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him, the priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him and said, you must die. That's not a fun job. I mean, we wouldn't want that call from God, right? Next week, we're going to look at Jonah. And so Jonah, he runs to the ends of the earth to get away from his call. He hid from God's call. He didn't want to speak out. I mean, Jonah would do anything to get out of that type of call. And this passage is why. Jeremiah, he really struggled with his call. More than any other prophet. In Jeremiah, we see the prophet struggling with what he wants to do and with what God wants him to do. Jeremiah didn't want to be a prophet. But for Jeremiah, what God wanted was more important than what he wanted or what anybody else thought. And that's a really important thing for us to reflect on, I think, is what God desires, what God wants. Is it more important than what I want or what other people think of me? I love Jeremiah because he's so honest with this struggle. You know, and I think this really helps us because the struggle's real. You know, it's easy to think, oh, you know, some people, they just have such strong faith and and it's so easy for them and I'm not like them. Don't do that. That waters down the struggle that every single one of the heroes of our faith had to go through. To leave their comfort zone, to follow God's call. They, They had to deal with their own fear. They had to deal with their own anxieties. They had to deal with their own feelings of inadequacy. They had to stop listening to that little voice inside them that was telling them, somebody else will do this if you don't. Those are lies. Don't listen to them. We know the source of lies, right? Matter of fact, it's the prophet's job to call out lies. Jeremiah was a very reluctant prophet. But more than anything, he was a faithful child of God. He didn't listen to those lies. As a matter of fact, one of Jeremiah's main calls was to speak out against lies. He was in an era of lies. In the Old Testament, the word lie, falsehood, appears 72 times in the whole Old Testament. But Half of those 72 are in the book of Jeremiah. And that's a big deal. Think about it. Half of the time the word lie or falsehood appears in the Old Testament, it's in this one book, Jeremiah. Because God called Jeremiah to point out the lies that people were telling. There's deception in the midst of a very corrupt nation. And again, think of this internal struggle for Jeremiah every time he was called to point out these lies. Because people don't lie. Or people don't like people who point out their lies, right? Especially when they're the leaders of the nation and and, and they've been lying to people that they're supposed to be leading. Jeremiah knew what was going on, uh, but he still did what God wanted him to do. 
Jeremiah is a huge book. I don't even know this, but in the Old Testament, you know, the only book that's longer is the book of Psalms. It's a really big, you know, just seems overwhelming sometimes, I think, Jeremiah. And I want to help give us some background today so we can read Jeremiah on our own with daily study guide this week. And it's worth reading. Jeremiah, you know, very active during an incredibly important part of Israel's history. A time when Israel had forgotten God's law, forgotten their history, forgotten their tradition. They forgot their call to be God's children. There's a great story uh, from the time of King Josiah. It's called Josiah's Reform. And and, and, in a nutshell, they were cleaning out a room and they found a Bible. Actually, it was scrolls, scripture, and and, and they had forgotten the whole entire thing. And their story with God, the laws, I mean, the whole thing. And they took the scriptures to the king and they read him these scriptures and and the king repented and and the nation repented. They tore their clothes in repentance and they turned back to God and they got back on track, but the corruption was set and it continued all the way to the time Babylon defeated Israel. The temple, the dwelling place of the Lord uh, was destroyed and God's people were carted off to be dispersed throughout Babylon in slavery. This is a time of huge crisis for Israel. I mean, so much of the Old Testament that deals with these events, but no other book reflects theologically on what's going on during these events like Jeremiah. He tells us what happened during this time, but I think even more important, Jeremiah is about why this happened. Because the main subject of the book of Jeremiah, it's survival in the midst of tragedy. I think that's a book we need to study right now. Jeremiah, divided into two scrolls originally, the first scroll, chapters 1 through 25, dealt with the, the concept of theodicy. And we had a series on theodicy earlier this year. And that's basically how do we reconcile a good and loving God with the suffering, that's the evil that's occurring in the world. And this was a time of deep, deep suffering for Israel. Jerusalem was destroyed. Their country was taken. God's children were taken from their homes and they were sent to live as captives in foreign lands. God's people were dispersed. You you may have heard the term diaspora. They were the diaspora. And and this comes from a farmer sowing seeds. Uh, They were dispersed the diaspora Jews dispersed through Babylon. They couldn't live in their own land. So the first 25 chapters of Jeremiah are pretty much Hebrew poetry reflecting on why is this suffering occurring? Why were they dispersed? Why did they become the diaspora? Well, it's because of their sin. They failed to follow God. Human sin provoked divine punishment. That was the why of the exile. That was the why of the diaspora. It was their sin. But then the second scroll, Jeremiah 26 to 52, it's not poetry. We moved to narrative and it focuses on Jeremiah's story. God's still very present. He's the one who builds, he's the one who plants, he's the one who forgives, and he's the one who restores God. 
So the first 25 chapters of Jeremiah explain why the nation was torn down. Because that's what happens when you sin, when everything's a lie. But the second half of Jeremiah, it, it moves to focus on words that help build planting for the future. Jeremiah, very unique prophet. Uh, he started very young. He lived a long life. His uh, career as a prophet was about 40 years. Started in 627, 626 BC. Um, Josiah's 13th year as a king. And it lasted until after Jerusalem fell in, in 587 BC. Meaning, Jeremiah predicted the national catastrophe. And then he experienced that catastrophe. And then he lived to tell about that catastrophe. He's a truth teller. He's a victim. He, he's a survivor. And he's a witness. Kind of all rolled into one. And he sounded the alarm before the tragedy. I think that's so important to understand. He warned them this was going to come. And they didn't listen to him. And, and he experienced the result of their sin with them. And I think this is important. You know, Jeremiah experienced exile along with the rest of the nation. And he continued to experience the things of the Lord for 40 years, all through this time, this season. And so much happened in this time frame. You know, between Israel and God and Israel and other nations and Jeremiah being called to speak out God's word of truth in the midst of it all, he struggled. Every time God called him, he struggled. 40 years of struggle. He's always on the verge of tears for 40 years because he didn't want to be in that position. And, and who would, right? But what God wanted him to do was more important than what he wanted to do. It was more important than what other people thought. Jeremiah was an outsider. He lost his childhood because of his call. But that call continued to come all the way through his old age. I mean, really, he was born into a struggle that was already going long before he was born. He inherited it. What do we mean? The opening line, chapter 1, verse 1 says, The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anatote in the territory of Benjamin. Now, there's a whole lot more going on there than we realize. When they divided the land among the 12 tribes under uh, Joshua, Benjamin's tribe got the short end of the stick. What I mean? They got the worst area, the whole, the whole Holy Land. They got this kind of narrow, long, dry strip. There's no trees, there's no fields, there's no agriculture, there's no fruit. I mean, there's it's just desert winds and desert heat. They got the place nobody wanted, Jeremiah's ancestors, because they were on the bottom rung of the ladder. Jeremiah's ancestors didn't count like everybody else. And this village of Anatote, it's about four miles outside Jerusalem, and it's set aside early on for these priests, a very special group of priests, that are not allowed to officiate in the temple. Uh, and they didn't know why. By the time Jeremiah came around, they just knew this is the way it was. 
Traditionally, the priests of Anatote, uh, they were said to be under a curse for like 400 years. And there's different stories as to why, you know, going back to King Saul, maybe King Solomon, it, it, they don't know is the point. Generation after generation after generation after generation, all they know is they're not able to do what every other priest is able to do simply because they came from Anatote. They're forbidden to do the job of a priest because they're from Anatote. Because that's the way things are. That's the way things have always been. Priests from Anatote, they can't officiate in the temple. They're not worthy. Not like the rest of the priests. And they didn't know why, other than where they came from, who their ancestors were, what tribe they came from. Most likely, some ancestor must have offended somebody, you know, 400 years back. So for 400 years, Jeremiah's priestly tribe, they, they've been discriminated, right? Something happened. They don't remember what. Centuries back. And they were born into this. And it's the hand they're dealt. Nobody knows why. That's how systematic discrimination works, right? I mean, it was just so deeply embedded in the culture, nobody even remembered what, let alone they weren't able to see it. Because they couldn't. It was the only reality they had ever known. They didn't recognize it. Jeremiah was a victim of injustice because of his origins, because of his people. He, he was born to the wrong class of priests. I think this is really significant, I, and not just because we're in a season uh, as a church of really trying to intentionally understand issues of racism and discrimination. And we've had a different panel discussion for the last several weeks. And last week we had some younger voices from the church. And, and if you didn't get, uh, watch it, it, it was an amazing conversation. And you should go back and listen to it. Uh, this week we're going to have some pastors, at least one uh, academic will be on there. Um, but that's not the only reason for significance. Jeremiah was born into a system that discriminated against him. And I think this affected his whole life. Like I said earlier, you know, all his life, Jeremiah is just sad. He's always on the verge of tears. God calls him. He never feels like he's really up to the task. I'm not good enough, God. Other people can speak better than I can, God. I'm just a second-rate priest. I mean, I, I can't even serve in the temple. That's what I've been told. I mean, what my ancestors have been told for 400 years. I, I've found people generally rise to the level of expectation that you place on them. Jeremiah, his whole life, you've been told he's second-rate. That was the level of expectation that was placed upon him. Even when God himself called Jeremiah, that, that was how he saw himself. I'm not worthy. I'm just a second-rate priest. I think this was a struggle throughout his entire career. 
And it's such a huge part of his story, and it's so intertwined. And, you know, I can't go tell them they're wrong, because I was raised to think they're better than me. But the deal was, I think deep down, Jeremiah knew that was not right. He knew they weren't better than him. I really think that part of his struggle to answer his call, everyone, you know, our, our, the whole society has been telling me my whole life I'm second rate, but God says I'm not. And what's more important, what God thinks of me or what I think of myself or what they've been telling me my whole life? Jeremiah was the prophet called to call out lies and deception. Remember, over half of the word lie or falsehood is found in Jeremiah. He's called to shine light in the midst of darkness. And he's born into this long line of lies from a long line of victims. Victims of lies and deception. And Jeremiah stops the cycle. He, he speaks out. It doesn't matter what other people think. I, he overcame what he had been programmed to believe about himself because of God's work in his life. Because what God thought was way more important than what others thought, even what he thought about himself. God called this priest of Anatote to be his voice, I think on purpose. Jeremiah had been told what his place was in life, what his lot was to be in life, what he could do, what he couldn't do. And I think this continued to be a personal struggle for him for over 40 years. Even though God called him, told him to call out their lies, social programming is a huge factor. And I think Jeremiah was always torn between his societal programming and his call from God. But who would be more appropriate to help Israel see their own sin than someone who was a victim of it in the first place? I mean, Jeremiah understood the effects of this sin on a very deep level. The priests represented uh, the people, they re resented, excuse me, the, the priest from Anatote telling them to turn from their sin. And they resented him calling them out for their lies. And he resented him saying, God's going to punish you guys. They resented that he represented God. A second-rate priest can't even serve in the temple. Who's he to tell us what to do? I think they resented him because he reminded them of their responsibility for their fate. Not just in calling them out, but because he was the subject of their discrimination in the first place, right? There's, he was the subject of their sin. Think about that. As they were conquered, as they were being hauled off into exile, Jeremiah had been the one who told them to stop from sinning. And they didn't listen because of who he was, because of where he came from. He didn't really count. But then later, when they wanted to blame someone, they wanted to blame him. But he was a symbol of the behavior that 
caused God's punishment in the first place. Something happens in chapter 32, and I think it's really important for us right now, as we're in still phase one, almost six months. Israel was in the midst of a huge crisis right here. This is about the lowest point of Israel's history. I mean, the nation's been invaded. Nobody knows what the future holds. And conventional wisdom would say, you go buy all the toilet paper and all the bleach you can. You need to stock up, you know. Don't do anything rash. Don't do anything stupid. Just hunker down. And right in the midst of this national catastrophe, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. and tells him to do something. God tells him to go out and buy some land. That's about the stupidest thing you could do, right? I mean, you don't purchase land as your nation is being invaded. I mean, for so many reasons. But that's exactly what Jeremiah did. Why? I mean, at the very least, it'd be a time waster when you need to do something else. But who knows if he'll be able to keep it. It was about hope. And it was about the future. Buying land in the midst of a catastrophe, that was a message. It was a symbol for his contemporaries, but also, I think, for future generations who would find themselves in a crisis or a catastrophe. Jeremiah is huge on symbols. We don't have time to go into all of the symbols in his book. But purchasing land was a huge symbol. He was saying, you have to live life. Life has to go on, even in the midst of a national crisis. Don't give up. I mean, you got to fight. You have to enjoy what you have. I mean, don't be dumb. Don't pretend whatever the issue is isn't real. But don't stop living. In the midst of a health crisis, I think Jeremiah says to us, life has to continue. Don't give up. It's going to be okay. Life goes so fast. You still need to savor it. Don't waste it. And relationships, nature, friends, coffee, music, I mean, whatever. Don't let the tragedy take over. Don't let this situation rule you. Don't let it define you. Cities besieged, children are afraid, people are hungry, the prophet's in jail. It doesn't matter. Jeremiah, he meets with people. Some are family. They have negotiations. They have contracts. In the midst of it all, money is exchanged. And he says, Don't worry, my brothers. Many more houses will be rebuilt in this land of destruction. God's not done. You know, more than any other prophet, Jeremiah teaches us how to behave during a time of stress, during a time of pressure. He followed God's call. He worked within his situation, within his reality, so that God could change the situation and bring a new reality. This priest of Anatote, I mean, the one who was told he couldn't even officiate in the temple, because of his lot in society. He, he picked up the broken pieces and he offered them to God. 
so he could start rebuilding society into a world that looked like what God wanted it to look like. He offered hope, and we need that message right now. We need to take our situation seriously. Don't misunderstand me. But life needs to go on. What would it look like in your world, in your life right now, to buy some land, to start building for the future? I want to end with some of the most beautiful words of hope that were ever given in the midst of a crisis from Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you call on me and and you come and you pray to me and I'll listen. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and all of the places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God is at work. God is in our future. He's calling us, leading us from our present reality. We are a people of hope. We are a people of the resurrection. We pray with me. Lord, I thank you for the words of the prophet. I thank you for the word of hope that regardless the situation, you can take the darkest of tombs and burst forth life. Lord, help us to experience your life right now. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.